Your face is flushed with anger as your hand grips tightly around the handle of your blade. You motion to your brother and the two of you burst through the door. You come face to face with your sister's rapist and your anger boils over. You thrust your blade into his chest and he falls limp to the ground. His father comes into the room and is shocked to see his son lifeless on the floor. But before he can get out a word of protest, your brother cuts him down as well. You are both enraged, both thinking, how dare they treat our sister like some kind of a whore? We'll show everyone what happens if you mess with our family. Together you go from room to room and you kill everyone you find. The fiery anger burns redder than the blood now dripping from your hands. When not a soul in the house remains, you leave, brother in tow, and return to your father's house. Nobody will ever cross us again, you think. But as you open the door and see your father, you can see sadness and disappointment in his eyes as he asks you, My sons, what have you done? This is the Rated R Gospel Podcast. I am your host, John Most. This is episode two, The Rape of Dinah. Our primary passage of scripture today is Genesis chapter 34. I'm going to offer a synopsis of it just for time's sake, but essentially Genesis chapter 34 tells the story of Jacob's daughter named Dinah, and as she is walking around, she is seen by a neighboring tribesman named Shechem, and Shechem sees that Dinah is beautiful, and he comes upon her while she is walking and rapes her. And it says that after he had done this, that he fell in love with her. So he goes to his dad, and they go to Dinah's father, Jacob, and ask for them to have an arranged marriage. And, of course, Jacob has now found out what had happened to Dinah, and he's angry about it. And even more so, her brothers, Levi and Simeon, are furious. It says that they were enraged by this. So they come up with a plan. They go to Shechem and his father and they say, you know what? Yeah, um, you can marry our sister. As a matter of fact, we'll become one people. You can marry our sisters and our daughters and we will marry your sisters and your daughters and we will become like one community. But then they say, essentially, there's a catch. You have to be circumcised like we are. So Shechem and his father go back and they convince the whole village, all the men in the village, to be circumcised. And so they do this. They all get circumcised. They all go through with it. And it says that on the third day, while they were still writhing in pain, Simeon and Levi went in to the village and killed every single man, every male in the entire village. And so, I mean, essentially they committed genocide. They wiped them out. And when Jacob finds out what his sons have done, he confronts them and he, he tells them, you have now brought shame on our house and you've made us obnoxious to our neighbors. And the passage ends with Simeon and Levi kind of protesting their father's response by saying, what were we supposed to do, Dad? Just let them treat our sister like a prostitute? Something worth taking note of is that Levi and Simeon, in what they did, they actually weaponized the sacrament, if you will, of circumcision. Circumcision had been given to their great-grandfather Abraham as the sign of God's covenant with his offspring, with 
what would become the children and the nation of Israel. And Levi and Simeon weaponized that very thing that was meant to symbolize their devotion to God and used it to deceive and to kill not just the offender, but also his entire family and village. Um, this would be kind of like, uh, in, in today's world, if you wanted to get back at somebody, and so what you did was poison the communion wine to kill them, or using baptism as an opportunity to drown someone. They used something that was supposed to be a symbol of their devotion to God in order to exact vengeance. A second thing to note is that this comes up again in Scripture in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is on his deathbed and he is blessing his children, his sons, he comes to Levi and Simeon and he says, because of this violence that you did, you're not getting the blessing. It instead goes to Judah. And he says of Judah, the scepter will not pass from your hand, your lion's cub. And so Judah receives prominence among his brothers. Simeon and Levi are passed over because of this act of violence and genocide that they had committed. Now, in examining this passage, there's a few points that I want to cover. First off, we want to see, okay, what is the difference between justice and vengeance? So let's start there. What is justice? Well, justice is about making things right. In this case, in a case like this, it would be about the victim and about attempting to make them whole again. Vengeance, on the other hand, is about punishing the offender. Well, the Bible has a little something to say about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, God declares, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we see God set up a system of justice. Uh, we see this in the books of the law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, where God ordains magistrates, uh, you know, judges, um, court system, and we have that today. Uh, you know, we have justice and vengeance is is in the hands of our court system. So they determine what retribution needs to be taken or uh, what punishment needs to be meted out for certain offenses, and that is in their hands, and that's something that God has ordained them to do. It isn't something that we as citizens are to take into our own hands. And unfortunately, in this case, Levi and Simeon chose to take matters into their own hands, and they sought not justice, but vengeance. The thing about vengeance is, the victim ends up being forgotten. At the end of this passage is the last time we ever hear any reference to Dinah. She's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. This, as far as we can tell, is as far as her story goes. And oftentimes, unfortunately, when righteous anger boils into vengeance, the victim is forgotten. We see this happen in today's society as well. When people become angry over somebody innocent being hurt or violated or harmed, the natural impulse is to seek vengeance. But vengeance forgets about the victim. Vengeance is about the offender, not about the offended. And instead, what they should have sought was justice. Justice is what cares about the offended. Justice is about making them whole again. The question they really should have asked was, what about Dinah? What can we do to care for her? What can we do to make her whole again? The reality is, 
that when somebody suffers a violation of their dignity, when someone is sexually abused or raped or molested, it carries trauma and shame that can be very difficult to deal with and that can take a long time to heal if it ever does. And unfortunately, like Dinah, many of those victims aren't mentioned again. The concern stops once the offender has been dealt with, and the offended person, the one who has been violated and shamed, is forgotten. But in the New Testament, we see Jesus. Jesus was the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who was promised whenever Jacob blessed his sons and said the scepter would not pass from his hand. Jesus is the ultimate magistrate. He's the one who has all authority to bring about justice and vengeance. He's the one that Deuteronomy was speaking of when it said, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And yet he was the one who would be taken out and who would be stripped naked and put to open shame as he was nailed to a cross. He received the punishment that Shechem deserved, and he took upon himself the shame that Dinah did not deserve. Jesus understands the shame of those who have been abused, those who have been molested, those who have been put to shame. He understands and identifies with you. Even if the whole world forgets the suffering of the victim, Jesus does not. Instead, he hung on the cross and suffered with us and for us, taking upon himself both our sin and our shame, the sin of deeds we have done and the shame of things that have been done to us. And it's by his blood that we can really be healed. But when given the opportunity, as he was hanging on the cross, to take out vengeance upon those who had brought him to open shame, Jesus instead responded, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Oftentimes we ask the question, where was God when this happened? The answer is, he was hanging on a cross. See, the cross is where mercy and justice meet. The cross is where mercy is found for the offender and justice is found for the offended. Because Jesus died for the sins of the offender and for the shame of the offended. And not only that, but one day, Jesus will return. And when he does, it says he will judge the living and the dead. And he will account for every offense. Because either he covered those offenses at the cross, or he will deal with them when he sits on his judgment seat. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to Christ. Because of what he did, you need not feel shame, because shame has been nailed to a cross. Because Jesus came to make the victim whole, and one day he will return and make everything right again. The Bible says that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So friend, if you have shame because of things that have been done to you, go to Christ. Because he is the only one who can make you whole again. This is the Rated R Gospel Podcast. I'm John Most. We'll see you next time.